Hello, everyone, and welcome to the John Strzelecki Audio Experience. Fantastic. So here we are, another episode of the John Strzelecki Audio Experience. So excited to have everyone on board. It's been so awesome to do these episodes. And today, we're doing something different a little bit. We've got a new segment that we're doing called Questions from Fans. And we get a lot of questions on Instagram and other platforms. So thank you all, everybody, for that. And we thought we would dedicate a show, and maybe this is going to be an ongoing segment, where once a month or once every six weeks or so, we take the amazing questions that you all are sending in, and we dedicate time on the podcast to answering those questions. And even better is we have a special guest with us today to help answer these questions. It's our buddy, Dr. Anna Usum, amazing world-renowned psychiatrist, incredible human being, world traveler. And she was kind enough to say, sure, I'll join this little adventure, uh, in particular because a lot of the questions you're going to hear deal with kind of topics that are right in your wheelhouse. So thank you so much, Dr. Anna Usum, my buddy, Anna. Good to see you. It's a pleasure to see you too, John. How can I say no to you? Let's be honest, you know, and (laughs) doing this with you is so much fun. So always a yes. Fantastic. And I know we were talking about some of the questions offline, and this is right in your wheelhouse in terms of all the great stuff you do to help people on a daily basis. And so I'm very excited to cover this. Uh, Before we jump into that, you're a world traveler. Uh, I love to travel, of course, as well. So where have you been lately? Where have you been, uh, you know, throwing on the backpack and heading off to? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. So um, the two international places have been Cabo, where I had an executive coaching client and spent some time there. And then to um, the Envision Festival in Costa Rica, followed by a jaunt in Nosara, Costa Rica, where a good friend of mine lives. And then some travel around the country to LA and North Carolina. Good for you. So that's kind of been... Costa Rica is one of my favorite spots when I was uh, doing my big, I talk about this in the cafe on the edge of the world, of course, in that the character describes an experience he had in Costa Rica, which was entirely based on my real experience in Costa Rica. And so I have a long uh, love connection to the Costa Rican people. They're amazing. And the countryside is incredible. Did you do any surfing? Nosara is really good for surfing down there. I am just an amateur surfer and I did go amateur surfing one day and really, really (laughs) loved it, but it's hard work as an amateur. And so, you know, teaching the body these new skills, but it's so beautiful and so incredible. And Nosara is one of the best places in the world to do it. So would rather be an amateur nowhere else. There you go. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I think one of the least understood elements of surfing, because they may, everyone who's a pro in anything makes it look so easy, but in surfing, you really underestimate the shoulder muscles until you get out there. And then you're trying to make it past that first break and you're fired up because it's, you know, you're out there and you can't wait to take the ride on the board. And then after you do a couple of rides in to get back beyond the break, you're like, wow, I need to do a little working out on the shoulder. At least that's the way I felt last time I was surfing. Absolutely. And for me, it's watching like the two or three-year-old children who learn to surf before they learn to walk. And I'm like, you know what? I'm a little late here in the game. That's when I should have been learning to surf. It would have been second nature, just like walking is. And it's not second nature right now. It's hard work, but it's effortful and yet really, really amazing as well. Yeah, I love to see that too. Skiing also, I'm not a skier, but I've gone a few times, probably a dozen times in my life. And I'm always amazed and impressed when I see the little kids doing that too. And I think to myself, well, that's it. You start when you got a low center of gravity, so you don't have far to fall. And then you build Absolutely. that confidence early. And uh, so, but yes, yeah. as you said, of course, better late than never. Better late than never. And with the skiing, I have a story that one of my dear friends is like an Olympic level or close to skier. And she taught her little children um, to ski at the age of like one or two. And we went skiing once and I had a really, really bad fall. And her little like three-year-old daughter comes, like literally takes me, puts me on the back of her skis and skis me down. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> this is something for the books. <laughs> Embarrassing, humbling, inspiring. Exactly. It's like which All adjective to All apply that. to That's that exactly. moment. I love right. that. That's great. My skiing story, and then we will actually get to questions here in a second, is I was skiing with a buddy of mine who is a really great skier. He's from Colorado. He grew up skiing. I'm not a great skier. Like I said, I've only gone about a dozen times. And they closed the lifts because the storm was coming in and we were at the very top. And so you had to ski yourself all the way down. And this was way beyond my comfort zone. Like we had to go down Black Diamonds, which is way, way beyond my comfort zone. But they're like, this is the only, you can't not do this because you have to get to the bottom. And so Anna, I skied myself all the way down, heart pounding the whole way. 
and I didn't fall until I literally was in a hundred yards of the end where you literally just walk off the slope. So it could not be more flat and it was right in front of everybody. That's where I fell. So that is my my spectacular skiing. You know, yes, there is something like that with skiing. Also, apparently that last run, you're never supposed to say that it's your last run because everybody falls on the last run. Oh. So you're supposed to, yeah, there's like a superstition around that. And I have to say last time I skied, which was the first time in years, I, I did not fall at all and fell really bad on that last run. So okay. there's something, there's something towards the end on the last run. God knows. There are some major life tips coming out of this podcast. We hope every single episode, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if this is necessarily one, but it's one that I'm going to remember, which is don't <laughs> call it your last run. That's probably a good idea for the surfing too. Don't call it your last wave. Just be like, oh, you know, that was such a good one. I, I guess maybe that will be my last one. It's all about perspective, right? It's all about framing things appropriately. Indeed, indeed. And speaking of which, here we are uh, with some amazing questions that fans have submitted. And uh, this is a segment that I've really been looking forward to doing because I know what it's like to be out there and having questions in my heart, questions in my head and thinking, oh, if only someone could give me a little bit of guidance in regards to this, right, whatever that topic is. And so I'm super psyched that we get a chance to uh, not just spend time together, but spend time together, hopefully helping out the people who have submitted these questions because you and I, when we were going through them, saw some real themes and patterns in the types of questions that people were asking. And so... I say we just jump right in. And this first one is certainly a big one in terms of people's emotional state. Um, it's something that I know that I can relate to. And so I cannot wait to hear your opinion on this and your thoughts uh, from your perspective. This one is, how do I continue when I'm in a depressed mood and life doesn't make any sense? So very obviously heartfelt bad. question from, from that one. And we saw a theme. There, it wasn't just one person who submitted that one, but there was some some theming in that. And so I, what's your, let's just go with first reactions and then we'll go a little deeper with this. What's your first reaction? Uh, if you had a, a yeah, client say that I to think you? My first reaction is we've all been there and you're going to be there again. And it's so important to figure out how to mobilize yourself and find ways from within to make life worth living. And often it takes little hacks. And here are five or six little hacks that I will give you. Awesome. That would be my, my first thing. Mm -hmm. And if I were to tell you the little hacks are, they include... First of all, start to take an inventory of your life. Right now, through dim-colored glasses where we have all seen our life before, life can seem really, really dark. But then start to see, is there another perspective? What are the good things in your life? What have you accomplished? When have you been in a dark space before and how have you overcome? And start to see the good. What are you grateful for? Who are the beautiful people in your life? What are the things in the past that you have overcome in this way? Mm. That's number one. So a reframe. Number two, change your physical state. If you are down, go out and go for a run. Go do something to get your blood pumping. Start sweating. Release the energy that you need to release. There's something really, really powerful about mobilizing your body. And there's a lot of evidence that actually shows exercise is as powerful, if not more, than antidepressants in dealing with depression. So if you're able, if you're able-bodied, go out and use that able body of yours to help your mood. I Number three. Hang on a second. Let's just, yeah. you, that's already yeah. so good. Let's dive into those two and then we'll go through the, the rest of your amazing list. The, the first thing that popped in my head with the gratitude one, um, and there was much more to it in your first one than just the gratitude, but in the gratitude, I had this crazy thought recently and I want to hear if you've ever read studies on this or heard about this because I think it was a big reframe for me in terms of gratitude. I think sometimes gratitude gets thrown around a lot to the point where people... I don't know, it becomes kind of passe. And I think you and I might have even talked about that in our initial podcast that we did. But I had this crazy, interesting thought recently, and I've been calling it experiential gratitude. And so it's relatively easy for me to be in that state when the world feels very gray and very heavy and to remind myself that I have a lot to be grateful for. And for example, I can see. And what an amazing gift that is, the fact that I have eyes and I can see. But I was thinking to myself, what would make that even more profound? And that's where this idea of experiential gratitude came up for me. And I was like, wow, what if I literally put two patches over my eyes and for two hours, I did not allow myself to experience anything other than what it would be like to be blind? I think that that would radically shift my level of gratitude for my eyes. You know what I'm saying? And so then I, I, I was kind of putting this on a whole nother spectrum of what else could that look like? And so two small examples that I came up with. And I, again, love to hear your intuitive reactions to this one would be, again, I'm so 
surrounded, we're also surrounded by food options. Hunger really isn't something that we deal with in this country for the most part. And so it's one thing to be grateful for food, but if you said, I'm going to experientially appreciate that, I'm going to go 24 hours and really feel what it's like to have genuine hunger or even 36 hours, right? Um, Or to put one hand into your shirt for half the day. So you can only use one of your arms and probably make it the one that's your least dominant arm. So you have to be left-handed if you're normally right-handed. So I'm kind of hooked on this idea of this experiential gratitude of if I really get myself into a spot where the world is quite dark, to pull myself out that way. Have you ever heard of that? I love that. I think that is so brilliant. And I feel like it's about, like you're saying, recognizing and being grateful for those things that we often take for granted. And the exercises you're suggesting is ways of not taking that for granted by reducing the use of a particular faculty, whether it be the capacity to eat delicious food whenever you want, or the ability to use your eyes or your arm or... You know, we are so lucky. And these aren't the things that we are usually thankful for because we just assume, you know, of course we have eyes to see. Of course we we can use our hands. And then imagine one day you can't. And that's what you're saying. And there's something so, so profound and powerful in that. I love that. So I think if uh, for those who are listening, if anybody tries this, uh, I would love to get feedback on this. And so whether you choose the eye one, whether you choose to, you know, immobilize one arm or, or something, whatever you decide to do, use your creativity. But I really think the other thing that was really hitting me with this is we talk about neural pathways and deepening the neural pathways. And so I think that this, the, the deepening of a neural pathway in my experience becomes more profound when it's not just theoretical, but it's theoretical plus practical and experiential. And so I think the pathway of gratitude for this and the duration by which it would stick with me becomes even more profound in this regard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you are making a choice to do things to enable you to be more grateful, right? It's not an afterthought. You're actually deliberately creating a situation where gratitude is the goal, yeah. very much so. And you know, like also in our life, it happens all the time, right? We get sick. We don't ever value our health so much as right after we've been sick. Isn't that so right? true? Yeah. All the important yeah, stuff becomes exactly. a whole different level of whether it is or is not important when you can't even get yourself out of bed because you're feeling so lousy. Exactly. Or suppose that you can get sleep for one night for whatever reason. You don't ever value what it's like to feel rested and well than after a night of having gotten no sleep and a day where you were exhausted. So that relativity is so part of just our human experience. And what you're saying is create that relativity yourself. Mm-hmm. Make it a part of your everyday so that relativity informs the way that you see the world and actually makes you more grateful. Well, and it ties into your second point, which is the physicality. In that, so my team laughs because I've, I think you and I may have talked about this as well. So I made a commitment to myself. I was going to start doing push-ups uh, in 2023. And it is really an amazing experience. I talked about on day 42, there was something transformative that happened where I started to feel a different way. And I've been an athlete my whole life. I even tried, did my very best to compete at the highest, highest levels of professional sports. So it's not like I hadn't experienced what it was like to lift weights and feel that. But I guess it had been a while since I had that level of connection with how good it feels to be in control of the way you physically feel. And so I'm active, like I probably do 100 push-ups a day now and I do them in slow sets, not just all at once. But I love the way it feels on so many different levels. And I think part of it is not just the fact that, oh, I feel myself getting stronger, but it's the remembrance that I'm in control of this physicality. And I think it's easy when you're sitting in your chair working at your computer all day to forget that, no, actually, I can change the way this thing, this vehicle, this vessel feels. Yeah, I think that's, it's so powerful. And sometimes that change happens so, so quickly, you know, um, and in ways that we don't even anticipate. I'll tell you my equivalent of your story, a different story. So I come from a history of high cholesterol, right? And there's high cholesterol in my family. And um, no one's overweight, but people have high cholesterol. So it's kind of deceiving. So you're not exactly sure. Like, you know, it's not that you're supposed to lose weight. It's just, it's a genetic thing. And I had my cholesterol measured. Um, and it was, I think the last was like 240 something high. It was like, um, a few months ago. And then I went to a Joe Dispenza retreat, which is like a week long meditation retreat. I went with five different friends and all of us after that, something unlocks during these retreats where you are flung into like, life changes. And each of us was in our own way flung into our life changes. And my life change was I started to do a juice fast and started to do all sorts of cleansing practices for my body. Um, and, And then a few other things like this. 
And two weeks later, I checked my cholesterol again, and it was completely within normal limits. Wow. Like, and what was shocking was like, I didn't take any medication and it was literally a two week time span before, between when it was high. And I think it'd been high for a while versus this one small change, a relatively short juice fast, and then everything is back to normal. I think that also shows us like we are so stuck in certain beliefs, first of all, about our health. Like, you know, I have high cholesterol, therefore my cholesterol is going to be high. It's just what it is. And my diet doesn't seem to impact it. Or, But then lo and behold, something shifts and there's such a like quick impact physically. And, and that changes everything, you know? Yeah. And I love it's that. And, and I think that's really the whole focus of this discussion, all our discussions on this podcast, which is to try and find these tools that have worked for us as the hosts or guests who are on the show. Not saying that every single one of these is going to work for every single person who's listening, but that there are options, there are answers out there. And hopefully you try some of these and some of them will work for your situation or you find another who. I talk about finding your who's all the time. So hopefully we can be a who for uh, the folks who are listening. And if not, then at least you know that there's other options out there. So that's awesome. So, all right, that's, so that's one and two of your, your top five list. This is again in the category of how do I continue when I'm in a depressed mood and life just doesn't make any sense. And although I didn't say it at the start, I will say it now. I should have said it right at the start that this is something that I can really relate to. I've definitely been there in my life at different times when the world seems abnormally heavy and that heaviness just just sits on you. You know, it's like this, the world looks gray, I think is the way I described it when we were talking about before. You know it's got color. Um, you've been in a place where the world seemed bright before, but in those moments, it does not have any of that brightness and it just seems very dark and heavy. Um, so you gave us two yeah, great tips. Yeah. Uh, what else is in the top of your list there, my friend, of your top five? Yes, 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 absolutely. We have all all been to this place before, so absolutely. Um, number three, I would say call someone who's dear to you. And we know there's tons of data and evidence that it's social connectedness and community is what can pull you out of slumps. And so find that community. If you don't have a community, let's find you a community. There's so many incredible communities for individuals going through similar things or with similar interests. Or call somebody who can listen to you, can reflect back to you the things in your life that are positive or things that they love about you or the fact that you are loved and can create a space and hold you through this dark period that you're going through. That would be number three. I love that. And is that tough for people to do when they're in that space? I think sometimes when when my head, first of all, I love the fact that you said that everyone's going through this. Um, and maybe this is just a reflection of hopefully the growth that we've we've arrived at as a civilization, as a society where this has become part of the discussion. Uh, because I certainly don't remember that being something that I heard about when I was growing up. And I'm sure it was just as prevalent then as it is now. It seemed like back then, it's funny because I was having this discussion recently, and it seemed like back then the cure was you have a highball or a martini or like it was just kind of glossed over. Like, oh, that'll fix it. I'll feel better after that. Uh, and so I love exactly. the fact that you say that this is part of the human story. This is not just one or two it of It is. Absolutely. It is. You're, and you're exactly right. It's part of just the existential dilemma as human beings that at times we're going to feel sad. And sometimes that sadness could actually be a depression or a clinical depression. And that we have to get through the difficult times as well as the ups of life. And actually our grace and capacity to get through those times really is going to determine the quality of our lives in so many ways. Because those times are inevitable. They're inevitable for everybody because sometimes things don't work and everything ends. Things end in terms of life. Things end in terms of relationships. And that creates sadness and can create depression. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, you know, that brings me like what you said and how often people would seek escapes, whether it be alcohol or a whole bunch of other escapes, to number four on my list, which is don't escape. Allow yourself to really, really feel your feelings. And what that means is not just to go and sulk and get to a space where you're completely like in this dark, dark space, but as much as possible to be able to remove the story from your feelings and just to feel the feeling without pulling it any closer or trying to push it away and without any judgment, just letting the feeling without the story attached like flow through you and to metabolize that feeling. It's almost um, a necessary prerequisite for letting go is allowing that feeling to wash over you and to pass through you. Interesting. So that's, I think, a really, to, really To really genuinely part. feel, without, what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's to really immerse yourself in it, but not going farther into it, but just to feel it for whatever it is. 
Exactly. Exactly. Like going farther into it would be to draw that feeling close. I'm depressed and therefore my whole world is going to become depression right now. No, depression or sadness is a feeling. You're going to let yourself feel it with all that it is, let it work through you and let it come out the other side and let yourself come out the other side. I love that. It actually reminds me of something that I was watching a show recently. I can't remember where I picked this up, but they were talking about the way in which you feel after you eat different things. It kind of goes to what you were saying a bit with the cholesterol. And so their recommendation was that you track for 30 days what it is you eat. And then equally important, far more important actually, uh, as far as this particular thing was, is that you write down what you eat and then you write down how you felt 20 minutes afterwards. And the idea was that you would be able to identify foods that were high energy or foods that just, for whatever reason, brought you down. And I was thinking about our conversation today in this particular topic. And while I'm sure foods can have that impact on us, and I'd love to hear your take on that, I was also thinking about just writing down what are the other triggers that maybe spin me into a spiral where the world starts to look less colorful and more grayed out. And so whether that is... I don't know, maybe it's even a particular TV show that I've watched and the, it's a very dramatic, it's very dark in its theming and the way I feel when I watch that versus the way I feel when I watch The Good Place or some other comedy show. And so I was thinking that that would be a powerful and useful exercise uh, to just notice the patterns, notice the trends because then if I feel myself slipping into that, I can say, oh, wait a minute, you know what? Yeah, I just did X, Y, and Z and that always kind of kicks me into this, this gray zone. I love that to identify your own triggers that can make you depressed and the things that can actually bring you up. And it could be so many things, some that are apparent and some that are less than apparent, right? And food that you are actually, because food sometimes won't be immediately apparent, but could happen in 20 minutes. It can happen in an hour, you know? So to be able to see which foods and people are different. Some people have guts of steel and some people have princess guts, right? And so depending on the sensitivity of your gut, food's going to affect you more or less. There's some people who can eat anything and it's not really going to them. And some people just the slightest thing and they could, you know, really be affected physically or emotionally. So I think that's a huge thing. And then there's also these triggers that sometimes could be counterintuitive, like energetic triggers. There are people who are either highly sensitive people or empaths who are very sensitive to the energy of their environment. And so certain geographic spaces or being around certain people could be a trigger. And then there's also our internal triggers, like thinking a certain thought, that then brings mm. up something from the past that's particularly painful can you know lead you to plummet into a dark space without even expecting or wanting to. Oh, that's really fascinating. It reminds me actually of the book, The Hidden Messages in Water. It's a book that came out probably 20 years ago, but the essence yeah, of it- Yeah, Masaru Emoto. Yeah, uh, a very famous piece of work talking about how our environment impacts us on a cellular, impacts water on a uh, energetic and cellular level and the crystalline structure of the water. And then the big takeaway from the book is when you realize our bodies are mostly composed of water, 60, 70%, depending on whether you're an infant or an adult. And so therefore your environment is impacting you in ways you don't even realize. So I really like that thought, Anna, because it could be you're walking a particular way home and every time you walk that way, you're passing a construction site where it's incredibly loud or people are, maybe they're even yelling at you or doing something, but something in that experience not just causes you to feel a particular way, but here's the big takeaway I just got from what you said. It actually could cause a trigger reaction to something from my past that I don't even recognize, oh, that is connected to this and then that's making me feel this way on those given days. That's really cool absolutely. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I've been traveling a lot lately and I've been noticing this more and more in myself and there's certain places I go, I'm like, oh wow, I feel really good here. This is a really good space for me. I feel really happy. I feel very uplifted. And then you almost even notice different things happening in your life in those places. I'm like, wow, a lot of positive things happen here. You go to another place, you're like, energy here just does not feel right for me. This just feels off and I feel anxious and I don't know why and nothing really should be triggering me, but it just does not. And then you notice strange things happening in your life in those places. Like I've become more and more attuned to that. And a friend of mine who's really into the astrology movement taught me about this thing called astrocartography, which is the I guess the intersection of your astrology and your geography. So apparently based on the time and place that you were born, all of us have this map of the world where every different place will have a different energy for us. And you can actually look astrocartographically. How should, for instance, Nosara affect me? And I mentioned Nosara because for me in particular, I got off the plane there. I'm like, 
this place, like something feels just off. I do not feel at home in this place. And then all sorts of crazy things start happening. I'm like, what is happening here? I could not wait to get out of there. And I remembered the last time I was in Nosara, about two years ago, that I felt the exact same thing. Something so strange with me and this place energetically. And then another place you get off that you're like, oh my God, I feel amazing here. This place, you're like, I'm supposed to be here. It's very interesting how these things right now, this this is like the triggers that I'm paying attention to. I love that. And and the thing is, is that for as you were describing before, for one person, a destination might be nirvana. It might be the place they feel most at home. They feel most creative. They feel most in their sweet spot of life. That exact same spot for somebody else might have the exact opposite effect. And so allowing exactly. yourself to... exactly It's kind of a theme I hear in our discussion now is allowing yourself to have this awareness of how do you feel when and what are these exactly. things that may be enabling you, causing you to feel a particular way and realizing that at the end of the day, we're the masters of that space. We can choose to eat a particular food. We can choose to hang out around a particular person or live in a particular space or even visit a particular space and therefore have a far greater impact on these emotions and feelings that we're having as opposed to just feeling like, well, no, it's just happening to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, um, what you're saying brings me to number five in our list of, you know, the five things to help people, which is if all else fails, consider the geographic cure, right? We're always looking for the cause or often in the world of psychiatry, the cause for how you're feeling inside of yourself, right? You want to change your beliefs, change your emotions, change your behaviors, maybe take a medication or a supplement or your diet or, but sometimes it might actually be where you're at. It might actually be a geographic cure that you need. Maybe you need to get up and move, go on a retreat somewhere. Maybe you need to actually geographically move to a different place. And I have had patients where we've tried everything. And then ultimately, after all else fails, they move and their depression lifts. Amazing. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Because one of my favorite aha moments that I've had is that you don't choose where you're born, but you do, you do choose where you live, right? Um, you don't choose who you're born to, but you do choose who you stay around. And that very much ties Absolutely. into this conversation that at the end of the day, and we live in such a unique, talking about gratitude, we live in such a unique time in human history where if indeed the place you're at is not the one that is helping, enabling, uh, causing you to feel great, it's pretty darn easy to pick up and move yourself somewhere else these days compared to the vast, vast majority of the human history. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like what people are seeking right now more than ever before is community, other people like themselves and other people that married, single, whoever people are, they want to be in close proximity and be working and thinking with other people that inspire them. So I just feel like there's a movement right now for people, especially people who are conscious and doing good things for the world, to want to live together in community. This is something that's happening. And I'm hearing this from so many different uh, friend groups like all over the country and the world. Interesting. That actually ties into something that you alluded to uh, as part of your five and that really continually hits home to me when I think about what is it that makes a great week for me. And there's certain things that are part of the do or experience model for me that make me feel like that was a great week. And one of them for me is, of course, time with my family. Another one is time on the water. You and I have talked about, so we actually went kayaking together. And literally a week that goes by and I have not spent any time on the water. And I do, I feel different. And it would be so easy to brush that to the side. But the truth is, whether I can easily explain it or not, it's just my reality. Why not embrace that? And so that's me. I love to be on the water. But for somebody else, that might be they love to make a great meal or they love to sit in a particular nook in their house and read a romance fiction book or an action adventure book or whatever. But I think it's about honoring those things that really make you feel like this was a great week. And I think if you allow yourself to do that every week, it's a little harder to slip into the gray zone for me. I'm not saying it works for Absolutely. everybody, but for me. Absolutely, completely agree to know what it is that you need and give that to yourself and then figure out because all of us have things in our life that we don't necessarily want to do, but sometimes feel obligated or have other people in our life who would like us to do those things and want to please those people. And so figuring out the balance with that, balancing the things that you really, really love with the things that feel more like obligations and to do those with a reframe of it's important to please the others in our life or to be a good person to do this or to help others in this way. So realizing that unfortunately life isn't all about the things that we like, but could be a large part by the things that we like. Yeah, I'll tell you. So one, I'll I'll give one final thought on that, and then uh, we can move on to question two. We're geez, we're forty minutes in, and we're on question one. But it's I such it. great I'm information, so Anna. Thank you so much for sharing this this wisdom, this genius that you have uh, in regards to this topic. 
And it is, uh, in regards to the, the one thought I had is it's, it's really at the end of the day about that personal choice. And that's the big takeaway I take away from this question is if you're in that state, first of all, know that you're not alone. So this is kind of my summary of this particular question. Know that you're not alone. Everybody goes through these things. Second of all, know that there's options out there to move yourself out of this state. And it may be something that seems a little outside of your traditional comfort zone. So if you've grown up in a particular place, you've lived in that place, and you've always been in that place, then you may not even realize that there's another option. Um, But tapping into your own intuitive senses, tapping into your experiential senses of like, when I eat this, I feel this. When I go to these places, I feel this way. And start to build that little database of spectacular. There's a good term. I like that one. Build your personal database of spectacular and try your very best, do your very best to fill your life with more and more minutes of that. And in the instances where you have another obligation, my guess is that you'll be more excited about going ahead and fulfilling that other obligation when you know that as soon as that's done, you can go back to the database of spectacular and pull some minutes out of there and go do something else that's great. Because it's when you don't feel like you have the database of spectacular that it's like, oh, one more point of drudgery. Or even worse is, I've been in this cycle myself, maybe people can relate to this, is that I think, oh, as soon as I get all of the obligations done, then I will do something from the database of fantastic, right? And the truth is that it just never works. The, the algorithm of the universe is looking and saying, well, gosh, like that's all he's doing is the email. So I guess we'll give him more email. And you never actually demonstrate to the universe that, no, actually, I love this stuff too. Uh, and so that would be a, a recommendation for my own life story is make sure you keep that balance that Anna is talking about. All right, my friend, shall we move on to another question? Like we had some great ground on this one. Fantastic. I all love right. it. Uh, all right. So we have uh, some other ones that are a little more intense. Um, and then we've got some that are fun. So why don't we take on one more intense question? And we'll save one fun one for the last. Uh, so let's go to, let's see. What needs to change to move from always single to having a healthy relationship? That's a big question right there. And this is one that we got a lot of, not exactly this exact question, uh, but there was a lot of them themed like this. And so what's the first thing that pops into your head? Obviously, this is a, a relationship question. This is about honoring who you are, but also the person saying, I think in addition to being like loving me for me, I also want to have a relationship with someone else as well. So what pops into your head, Anna? Here's the question again. What needs to change to move from always single? And by the way, that was in caps for the person who submitted this, always single, to having a healthy relationship. Beautiful. Yeah, I would think that we can probably break this one down into five points as well. So (laughs) should we? (laughs) All right. I guess my mind works in five point point sequences. And so, well, you're on a program with a guy who designed something called the Big Five for Life. So I love that. That's that's why it must be. There you go. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I think for something like this, it's first to understand why are you always single and what part of you wants to be always single. And what do you get from being always single? And what are the sacrifices that you would have to make to be in a relationship? And then what are the blockages that are keeping you from being able to draw in the right person? Or like to understand the blockages, is it that you're not drawing in the right person? Is it that you're drawing in people, but the relationships don't work? Is it that you're drawing in the wrong kind of person that you seem to have the same repetitive pattern? Is it that you're always single and have like almost like this activation energy that you can't get over to go out there to meet someone? Is there things that you're doing to keep yourself single and not open to other people such as, you know, like um, I'm just super, super busy and I fill my life up with everything else that I have no time for relationships. Mm. So it's almost like a defensive posturing that keeps you always single, but actually may be an escape from going out and finding your partner. So really to understand a little bit more deeply, what is the obstacle? And then, you know, once you understand that, to really go and say, okay, what do I then need to do to take the first step to start to draw on the right person? And there's a number of things in that regard, one being this uh, principle of we don't draw in who we want, we draw in who we are. And so to really realize if you're drawing in a certain kind of person, is it the right person? And if it's not, what's wrong with the people that you're drawing in? And how is it a reflection of something that perhaps hasn't been worked through in you that needs to be worked through in order to start drawing in the right person? So here there's there's a combination of inventorying what's going on is what I took away from the first part of that. And then doing some self-reflection. So finding the patterns, finding the obstacles, finding the things that 
seemingly are always, quote unquote, always keeping you from it and having a good sense of what that is and then asking what is my role in this whole story because clearly it's not just everybody else. It's a two-person interaction in, in a non-single relationship. Uh, and so identifying what, what maybe am I doing to self-sabotage my own success in this regard. Exactly, exactly. Like un, uh, identifying the subconscious patterns that you might not even be aware of that might be happening and maybe asking dear friends, family, colleagues, a therapist to help you identify what those are. If indeed you're like, I have no idea why I'm always single. It just happens. So let's ask some friends who maybe know you and can reflect back and mirror to you some things that maybe you're not aware of in yourself. That's interesting. So, that was on my list of my thoughts in regards to this as well was asking for critical feedback. This is something that I do as an author where I write something and I feel it's exactly where I want it to be. And then I will ask 10 people to read the manuscript and give me very critical feedback. And what I tell people is I don't want to just hear like, oh, I really liked it. I want to hear like, okay, this is the part that made you laugh or this is the part that made you cry or this is the part that left you confused and therefore I need to go back and work on that. And I think that's very tough to do as a human being. You got to put yourself out there to get that kind of critical feedback. But man, oh man, think about how valuable that is. And... It could be something as simple as, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. My daughter is really great at identifying clothes that look good. As a matter of fact, she's the one who picked out the new spread, ladies and gentlemen, if you happen to see us on the video here. That's a great spread, John. Thank you. I'll pass that information <laughs> along to her. And she just has this awareness. Part of it is learned from watching videos. Part of it is just her own intuitive great skills where she says, okay, well, a particular color makes you look this way or makes you feel even perhaps that way. Uh, and so she, she's able to articulate that if you have a, a flow with your dress, the way that you, you have your clothing on, it makes you look boxy and there's no shape to you. And so she was pointing all this amazing stuff out to me as we we're, as we we're looking for the next sort of look for us. And I was thinking to myself, like, wow, how incredibly valuable that is. And there's no real typical way in which we get that. I didn't get that when I was 16. Oh my goodness, how I wish I would have gotten that feedback when I was a 16-year-old kid trying to figure out like, okay, how do I go, how do I get a date? Like, how do I look good, right? There was no guidance in that regard from, from someone. And uh, so I, I think, do you have any particular concept, advice for someone? If you're going to put yourself out there, you're going to ask some friends, you're going to ask some family member or best friend, whatever, what can you do to make sure that you're absorbing that, in, you're in the right mindset, I guess, to get, absorb, and then utilize that type of feedback? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I would write it down and I would go back to it because mm. the way in which that could, um, that you could interact with it or hear it the first day could be really, really different from what you'll hear the second day or the third day, or that your defenses might be up. It might be hurtful to hear, especially if you're asking people to be really honest with you. So to write it down and to give it some time to sink in and really think about and interact with what's coming back is really powerful. I love that idea. I didn't think of that. That was not on my list. And what a great suggestion that is. Because, you know, we think we're going to remember these things. And no matter what it is, whether there's... I actually keep a file on my MacBook, which is certain things that I always... Not always. Certain things that I will do like once every seven months that I need to know how to do on my Mac. And then inevitably, I don't remember seven months later. How do I do this particular thing? And wow, what a great tip as it relates to our lives and being the best version of ourselves towards our dream as related to this question of not always, quote unquote, always being single, but wow, this is some great feedback from my friends about how to be the best version of me to enter a relationship so that I don't forget it, I write it down and go back to it. What would be the frequency that you'd go back to that type of information? Is that a daily thing? Is that a monthly, a weekly? Yeah, I would do it maybe for the first three days, once a day to go back and say, okay, well, this is how I heard it yesterday. Well, how do I hear it now? And how does it make me feel now? What steps can I take to implement this? And what do I think of this feedback? Do I agree with it? Does it resonate with me? And, you know, really trying to make it into something actionable. Um, and then ultimately, um, to put that into practice. You know, I think those were steps one, two, and three. And I think steps four and five are the action steps of what do you do with that information? And one of my, like step number four for what to do from going from always single to um, in a relationship would be buying an amazing book called Calling in the One by Catherine Woodward Thomas. It's what I recommend to the majority of my females, my female clients and patients who are looking for the one or a relationship. Can you give us that title again? Yes, Calling in the One 
by Catherine Woodward Thomas. It is jam-packed full of wisdom and insight, and it's about how to find the love of your life in seven weeks. It's not just for females, it's for males as well. Um, and uh, it's 49, like one a day, short chapters with a lesson in each one and some exercises in each one. And it's based on the following premise, right? In order to meet the right person, you can go in one of two paths. One is you meet a million people and eventually it's a numbers game. You meet the right person, right? That's, it's just kind of a random coincidence thing. And then step two or, you know, option two is it's actually not a random coincidence or numbers game. And you work on yourself and you clear out whatever blockages exist within you to the right person coming in. And then when those blockages are clear, the universe will bring you that person. So it's a book with a little bit. Of, so this book is about option two and goes through these 49 possible obstacles that we can have to finding the right person and what to do about it. So I've recommended this book to so many people, many of whom now have their soulmates I or love their that. significant That's, others. That is a fantastic recommendation. That's a great who for anybody who's hearing us talk about this conversation and saying, yep, that's kind of where I'm at in my life. Your your action steps reminded me of some of my other notes on this. One of the things that I've noticed over time, because this is a question, this idea of relationships is something that comes up very often with people as part of their big five for life. They want to be in a loving relationship is a very, very common term. And what I've noticed over time is that when you get to know these people's situation, very often they are spending the majority of their awake life in situations where they do not glow. And the expectation is one of two things. They will either use the method you talked about before, well, I'll eventually meet a million people and hopefully one of them will be the one. Or they have what I call the prince charming or princess charming hope. And that is that I'm in this job that I can't stand. I'm in this life that I can't stand. But I hope that he or she is going to see me, but not see me in this state that I'm in. They're going to see me for the beautiful and kind and excited about life person that I am inside, like way deep inside because I'm at this job that I can't stand. And then they will see through all the dust and the unhappiness and the, the trauma and they will see I'm really not that person, but I'm somebody much more happy, et cetera. And that's where I'll find my soulmate. And in my experience, that is so, that's asking so much of the rest of your human compatriots uh, because at our best chance to find someone who really sees the true essence of us is when we are demonstrating that essence of us. When we glow, people are drawn to us. And that's, that's the sweet spot to me. And so, so the question then is, well, what do you do to glow? Well, the more time you spend, like uh, whatever that term was I came up with early in our conversation, the database of, of happiness or the database of, of whatever. Fabulous. The database <laughs> of fabulous, thank you. The more minutes you're spending per day in your database of fabulous, living your big five for life, naturally, the more you glow. And the more you glow, the more people are drawn to you. And so I would say that to me from an action step is a big one to take a look at. If you're not loving the way you spend 70% of your awake life Monday through Friday because you're at a job that you hate, really give some conscious thought to what would be the change necessary to make that portion of my life feel and look very different. Completely agreed. Completely agreed. And, you know, people often say, well, here's, you know, the the riddle, right? What do you get and for people who are help, hoping to be saved by love or saved by a relationship? What do you get when you have a depressed person in a relationship? You have a depressed person in a relationship, right? What do <laughs> right. you get when you have a unhappy person get married? You have an unhappy married person, right? As opposed to suddenly marriage is going to fix everything. No, you fix yourself and then you have a happy married person. Relationships don't change anything. You're still the same person, but now you're in a relationship. And often if you're depressed, it makes it harder for you and for the relationship. Yeah, I, I'd love that feedback. And I will say that, you know, I love movies. I love books. Obviously, as an author, I love books. I think that, media doesn't necessarily do the best job of telling that story. Typically it is. It's the, I'm low in life and no, I get rescued because the person sees through the misery and, and sort of turns me into the best version of myself. And I just, I think that while that certainly could happen, I don't think that's the fastest path to victory as it relates to this question. I love your suggestion. Focus on the self, be the best version of you, and then really good stuff is likely to follow very quickly. I would add one more thing to that. I'm looking at my notes here. And that is that if you're allowing yourself to say, I really want to be in a healthy, positive relationship, and here's my perspective on that. And you kind of articulate, 
going back to like, what is the look and feel of this relationship? Oh, this person is athletic and they're kind and they're, um, they volunteer. If you have that perspective, then start hanging out with people who do those kind of things and you're far more likely to beat the odds compared to the one of the million who's going to find me. So if you're looking for someone who's like very philanthropic and volunteers a lot, go volunteer a lot. Do, do something that you also are passionate about from a volunteer perspective, but just logically, you're more likely to find someone who's in that kind of personality trait that you're looking for. Precisely, precisely surround myself, like become who you want to be. Surround yourself by the people who you want to become 100%. And that's how also you find community. That's how you'll find love. That's how you're going to find the deepest friendships and people who really inspire you. Yeah, and it starts you in the glow state because if, let's say that, for example, you love puppies and so you're going to go and you're going to go to work at a dog shelter and you're going to walk dogs as part of the, the puppy program, then inevitably, as you're doing that thing that you genuinely enjoy, you're going to glow. And then the person who also is volunteering there is going to see you in your best light. And I know this may sound obvious, these, this particular suggestion that I'm making, but it's only obvious once you know it. Like for the vast majority of my life, these types of things were not obvious and I struggled with them. And so I always think I'm, I can't be the only person who's struggling with these things. And so again, if you're listening, first of all, don't beat yourself up that you haven't figured this out on your own. That's part of the life story. You're trying to figure these things out. Yes, and, exactly, exactly. And, yes. and the great thing about learning is once you know it, now you get to use it for the rest of your life. And this is why I so love your suggestion, Anna, of writing it down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to give one more um, answer to this really important question because I think that there are some people who are always single or looking for a relationship and who are actually very strong manifestors and manifest the majority of things in their life. And for whatever reason, feel like they can't manifest this. I've had a whole subset of friends, clients, patients in that group. And the problem ends up actually being that they want it too much and are holding on too tightly. Because the other thing with certain things, especially when you have to, you know, like leave things to chance and to the divine will a little bit, right, is that you have to open and allow that to happen. And therefore, you have to let go of your own grip and you have to like loosen your hold on the universe and loosen your hold on your desires, recognizing that you don't fully control the process. And then you focus on what you can control and have a, li a little bit of surrender there. And I think that this is so important. And I especially work on this with really, really powerful women who have it all, who are able to manifest everything, but for whatever reason, this isn't manifesting. And they're applying their same, you know, super driven, ambitious approach to this, and it's just not working. And so like loosen the grip. The other, like if you're very strong and you feel that you're falling into that category, loosen the grip a little bit. And there's many ways to do that. There's many ways to do that, including dating many people at once and, you know, like um, putting less pressure on yourself, like considering, you know, like really keeping yourself busy with other things other than dating. Those are just some practical things, but really figuring out what does loosening the grip mean for you and how can you release your control a little bit over this issue? I love that uh, advice. It reminds me, there's, there's, it's a kind of a joke kind of thing, but it's the, I'm detached from the outcome. Why isn't it happening? I'm so detached. I'm so detached, right? Exactly, exactly. And and it yeah. really is the the allowing yourself to genuinely be not just detached, but open in different ways in which it may happen. And so if that's your goal is exactly. to be in this relationship, but you have the expectation that it's going to happen at that particular club on a Friday night when you're at the bar and you're sipping a martini and he or she is going to walk in and just sweep you off your feet. Like if that's your attachment to how this is going to happen, then you literally can miss the person who's walking through the park in the opposite direction than you, noticed you, smiled at you, but you were, you were just so focused on being in that bar. You're walking at a ridiculously fast pace to get there because you know that's where it's going to happen. And so I really like that idea a lot of not losing sight of the objective, but being super, super open to the time frame and the way in which it may actually enter your life and, and play with it. Precisely, 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 right? And if you have a uh, list with 80 qualities and then that person has to have all these qualities before you would even consider dating them, maybe consider throwing that list away and focus on genuine connection with people and follow that open your heart and take your heart where it, you know, take yourself where your heart leads you as opposed to where your brain is leading you with checklists. It's not to say the checklists are unimportant and you shouldn't have standards. Of course you should. But if that's not working for you, try a different approach. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of, you know, the, 
the standard approach that so many of us unfortunately take, I've certainly taken it myself, which is I just keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And I'm locked into the process and the way that I've mapped out the process. And that clearly, if it's not working, it's time to try something else. Again, you don't give up on the goal, but you start to say, okay, what's an alternative way to approach this? And in terms of relationships, again, if you have always had a passion for something philanthropic and you just haven't gone out and volunteered, then volunteer. If you've always had a passion to dance, but you, you don't have a dance partner or you don't know anybody who's willing to go with you, go anyway. Like Shake it up a little bit. Mix it up a little bit so that you can give the algorithm readers a chance to reconfigure and maybe deliver you the results you're looking for with a little bit different format or picture than exactly what you were expecting. Exactly. I love that. Fantastic. Well, that is uh, number two of our uh, our big list there. Thank you so much for hitting that one. And uh, I say we take one that's a little bit different, a little different tact on this one. Let's do something that's just ridiculously fun, ridiculously easy. Uh, we talked about travel at the start. And so some we get a lot of questions related to travel because I think a lot of people know that travel is a big piece of my story. And I know it's a big mm-hmm. piece of your story, Anna. So we'll take this one. We'll just hit this one for a couple minutes. And that is... How do you pick your travel destinations? Yeah. What's your first reaction to that? I love that. um, My first reaction is I let my travel destinations pick me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, has that always been the case? Has this been a metamorphosis over time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I feel like right now my life is such that there's a lot of travel happening and I ask the universe, I'm like, what is the highest and best place for me to go where I could, you know, both give and receive what it is that other people need and what I need in order to grow. That's my question to the universe. And, you know, with with a few other little caveats that I put in there, meaning incredible people and ideally that we go in style. Like that's what I that's what I put in there. And then the universe takes me and is like, okay, well, you know, and then people will present there's this amazing conference happening. Like there's something happening the second week of um uh, May in Paris with mystics and scientists and entrepreneurs. And, you know, this was just presented yesterday as a possibility. And then it's my mom's birthday, the first week of May. So I'm going to be in Chicago. And, you know, so there's all these fascinating things. And then you kind of weigh it and you feel in and does this feel right? And if it does, you go. I, so you're a master at that. And I don't know if you've always been like that, but certainly in the years that I've uh, had the pleasure of being your friend, you've really embraced that spirit of this is a unique opportunity I tap into my intuition. It says, yes, I'm going. Like, I, do you, Have you always been that courageous in terms of this kind of stuff as it relates to travel? I think maybe as it relates to travel because it never feels courageous when it's travel because travel for me is like, I feel at home everywhere. I just okay. love to travel. I, I think, I think um, my family, when I was five, we left Russia. And I think what that did was it created for me the sense of travel as the norm. And between the ages of four and five, we were in Italy for a few months, in Austria for a few months with my family finding this new life. And somehow that imprinted in me a love for travel and appreciation for that and finding my own, in in a world of instability, and especially if there's ever any internal instability, travel always restabilizes me and brings me back to myself. Isn't that interesting? Because for, and this goes back so much to the conversation that we were having at the start of this uh, discussion, which is finding your personal sweet spot. Because for somebody else, that would be incredibly destabilizing. And for you, that's stable. It is for me as well. Uh, I think in terms of my travel destinations at this point, I, I think I started off historically just trying something. So my very first big adventure was to Costa Rica. We were talking about that earlier. And that was life-changing. Obviously, had a big impact because I wrote about it in the cafe on the edge of the world in terms of sitting on the beach in Costa Rica and reflecting on life and asking the question, why am I here? And that was based on my actual experiences in Costa Rica. And then I think at this point in my life, I tend to pick based on a particular experience that I want to have. So for example, I just saw one where you can go kayaking with narwhal whales in Canada. I I think it might be Hudson Bay. And so I saw that and I was like, that is an experience that I want to have before I leave the planet. And so I think at this point, less about geography to me. I've had the the joy of seeing a lot of the geography and it's more about a particular adventure that I want to go on. Um, but it can be about a person too. Like if, if someone says, hey, I'm going here and it's somebody that I just want to hang out with, I can 100% jump on board that freight train as well. And so, uh, yeah, that. that's kind of I my answer that, of that. how I'm picking destinations. Yeah, 
Exactly. And it makes, it reminds me of what you would do with your daughter, how you guys would always have like a, every week, an amazing adventurous destination that you would go to. And it would be something different. It was something that you'd share. And that was your way of connecting to adventure, which I feel like is just at the root of your soul. So like emblematic of who you are. Yeah. And it's funny because she has gotten older now. She's in high school. And so we don't do our adventure days anymore like we used to, because she's just not available. She's in school. And uh, that is a gap. That is something that I feel is missing. And that's where I think the resurgence of, wow, if I don't do an adventure day and I don't do a day on the water and I don't do a day of volleyball, like it's been a pretty horrendous week from the way that I will feel about myself. Uh, so one of the things as it relates to travel, for everybody who's listening to me that really helps with that, Anna and I may have alluded to this on our previous podcast, but that is having something on the calendar to look forward to. And so when it comes to travel, I like, even if I haven't, put this one on the calendar, I would say two parts to this. One is having something on the calendar where I can look at my next month and be like, oh, cool, I'm going there. Changes the way I feel about the 30 days leading up to that. And even if I don't have the exact date on the calendar, knowing in my mind, I want to go and I'm going to go kayaking with narwhals and it's only June, July, or August, knowing that that's out there for me, that adventure is waiting to happen, that changes the way I feel every day too. I don't know, does any of that resonate with you? Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Having something to look forward to. Yes. And if, if you're ever feeling down, you know, if you have something to look forward to, you already have the geographic cure in store ready to go. So that if, you know, whatever triggers are happening in a geographic locale are specific to that, you're able to change that. And also travel changes your state. It changes the people, changes the community, changes everything. So it's like a big, big reboot and a big reset. So I love that. All right, that's, you know what? Let's tie that right back for our last couple of seconds here to our very first topic, which was how do I continue when I'm in a depressed mood and life doesn't make any sense? And you just said something that to me resonated so strongly. And I think for any other traveler, it's going to resonate as well. And that is allow yourself to always have something out there that you're looking forward to. And that, if you took nothing else away from this time, and I think everybody who's listening, Anna gave so many amazing suggestions. Hopefully I gave one or two that you've got lots of good things to apply to your life. But if you didn't take anything else away, take this one away. That if you want to keep that darkness away, if you want to keep that lack of color away from your life, then have something that the minute you see it on your life calendar, it changes your state. It changes your, and maybe attach a song to it. That would be a good little tip too. And so if you're going to, let's think of something cool. Uh, You talked about Paris. So let's say somebody says, I've always wanted to go to Paris and I want to go, I don't know, maybe you want to go walk the Champs-Élysées in the evening or you want to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower, whatever, whatever your thing is. Find a song that encapsulates that trip, that adventure. Put the adventure on your calendar And up until you actually go, anytime you're starting to feel that downshift in your emotional state, play that song. Love that. And I actually have an enhancement to that. So I just came up with it, but I'm going to enhance it a tiny bit. Have a song. And if you really want to, find some little video clip that maybe it could be a scene from a movie that you love, something that has to do with the dream. And so uh, watch the scene, listen to the audio. And I bet that if you stick with it, it'll change your state. You'll get fired up about your adventure that's coming up. And it'll get you in the direction that you want to go. And when you do that, you're going to glow and you'll attract all those people in your life that you're so interested if you're somebody who submitted both of these questions. I love that. I think that sounds amazing, having something to look forward to and encapsulating it in music. And you know what that reminds me of? Whenever I do something that I really love, I always have songs attached to it. And so I have a playlist of all the things I love. So another thing is like to be able to have that playlist looking to to the past as well as to the future and having both the past, which you love, the future, which you're going to love, and then using music as a way of upping your mood as well. Very cool. So it gives you something to look forward to. And also once you've done, seen, or experienced it, it gives you something to remind yourself that you've done something super cool and that you have the capacity to do that again in the future. Mm-hmm. Dr. Anna Usum, everybody, always, always full of incredible advice, always coming from a big, beautiful heart perspective. I so appreciate our time together, my friend. Thank you very much for joining me on this segment of questions from fans. It was literally, we have, I don't know, 20 questions. We covered, I think, three, but we covered them in such a great in-depth format that I really, really hope that everybody who's listening gets a lot out of this. I know I certainly did. So thank you, my friend, for joining me for this segment. I hope I can convince you to come back for it again. It would be my pleasure. And that was so much fun. We weren't as efficient as we'd hoped, but we were definitely thorough. It was a lot of fun. So thank you so much, John. (laughs) There you go. Well, we'll go for effective over efficiency anytime. Exactly. uh, 
Anna, where can people find you? So uh, if they're looking to learn more about you, about your amazing book that you wrote, what's a great place for them to track you down? Sure. You can find me on my website at www.annayusum.com. A-N-N-A-Y is in yoga, U-S is in Sam, I-M as in Mary.com. Fantastic. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show and uh, see you on the next one. Thanks, Anna. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. This episode has been brought to you by the fantastically awesome JS Audio Team. Produced by the talented and so darn fascinating Larry Hodder. All right, everybody. Remember, life is short. Statistically, 28,900 days. So get out there and make this one a museum day.